Well, good morning. Oh, good. You guys have had enough caffeine. We'll see. Ah. Well, my name is Michael Dant. As Spencer was saying, I'm executive pastor here, and it is just a joy and a privilege uh, to be able to serve here at South Suburban. And it is, of course, an honor to be able to uh, share from the pulpit um, what I believe God has for us today. And uh, as you... um, yeah, we'll just jump into it, and uh, I won't uh, fill in any extra stuff. It's like, stick to the notes, Mike, and you won't screw this up too badly. Uh, no. But um, I, yeah, um, I've got three biological kiddos, and as of this uh, last week, we actually added two foster kids, and uh, we kind of got back into that. And so we're in an interesting season in my household. Um, we have uh, my oldest, my firstborn, uh, is graduating this year. And uh, he's taking a step further through that doorway of adulthood and independence. And it is scary as all get out. Um, well, not that bad. Um, but for some of you, this is a distant memory. You've been there, done that, have the t-shirt, have the scars, have the tears, have the joys and the celebrations. And others, it's not even on your radar, is it? Uh, you're up to your eyeballs in Little League and diaper changing. And uh, such is life. And for my other two biological kiddos, uh, time will fly. Um, They'll be graduating soon enough. They're already surpassing my height, which is frustrating, but there's nothing I can do about that. (sighs) Thank you, Mom and Dad. But for all of my kids, I can't be more proud of them and am thrilled to be able to uh, be their dad. And it seems like yesterday that we brought Alex home from the hospital there in the Chicagoland area. And uh, here is this little uh, burrito. Uh, He's wrapped up, and uh, we stick him in the crib. And uh, then I just kind of look at him, and it's like, oh, now what? I mean, it was a bit surreal, because he's just lying there sleeping. He's something cute, and we held him and all that kind of fun stuff. But it's like, I I guess I can go read something. (laughs) You guys know what I mean when when you brought your kids home, especially if you're dad, all right, I wasn't a part of the feeding program, if you understand my gist, all right? Diaper brigade, yes, okay? But um, so there wasn't tons for me to do with this. I couldn't talk to him, couldn't throw the ball, you know? So he's just lying there, and I'm just kind of thinking, wow, what do we do from this point moving forward? And all sorts of questions started pouring into my mind. What's Alex gonna be like? Who's he going to take after? Is he going to have my nose or is he going to have Jen's nose? What's he going to do with his life? And maybe most significantly, will he follow Christ? And I had similar thoughts for each of my kids. And as a parent, it is my responsibility to set the course for my kids, to prepare them for life in this world, and to ultimately pursue a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've come to the realization that we have just one shot. We've got one life, one chance to use our talents to fulfill our God-given purpose. And I've got one shot to make the most of it. Now, I want us to rewind a couple thousand years, hop back in your little time machine to the birth of Christ and a couple of other parents that had probably some similar thoughts as well. I mean, have you ever wondered what it was like for Mary and Joseph? They're in the manger, well, they're in the stable, and here is Jesus, Savior of the world, the miracle conception, the miracle baby, and he's just there, and it's kind of like, well, now what? 
Oh, shepherds, hey, come on, all right, we got company. Like, what do you do during that time? What questions go through your head? And I would probably guess that some similar questions went through Mary and Joseph he- uh, Joseph's head as well. Did they question their abilities, their fitness, their readiness to take on the Son of God? What did they have to offer? A carpentry business? Mary would have still been relatively young, not necessarily proven in life. But here's the neat thing, is that God thought they had plenty to offer. The neat thing is that God's a pretty good judge of character, isn't he? He's a pretty good judge of our abilities, isn't he? Probably more so than ourselves, right? Scripture leaves a large gap between Christ's birth and the start of his ministry when he was about 30 years old. The glimpse we do have is shared in all four Gospels and should therefore get our attention. It's significant. And about the age of 12, we see in Luke chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph are making their annual trip to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover festival. So it'd be a similar time as now, because when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, that triumphal entry, he was coming to celebrate the Passover festival. But here is a young lad, Mary and Joseph are coming in, their caravan, their family, friends, relatives, for this week-long event, and as they get through this, they return home without Jesus. You would think that if they had been trusted with the Savior of the world, they wouldn't have forgotten the kid. God knows how to pick them, right? And I'm sure none of us have ever forgotten the kid, right? Where's Timmy? I thought you had him. Oh, Oh, he's still in the garage, in the car, in the car seat, sound asleep. Well, a day later, or however long it took, for Mary and Joseph to get back, they find Jesus. And it cracks me up, the dialogue that happens, because, well, I could just picture Mary just wagging her little finger, hand on her hip, and saying, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, is what the Bible says. And then I'm also thinking, kind of, where have they been looking? I'm like, If you're Jesus and you're just hanging out in Jerusalem for the day, like, where do you go? You know, there's no Sonic. There's no Six Flags. Do you hang out with your friends? Maybe you, you know, so it's kind of like, where all did you look, Mom? And here's the interesting thing is that Joseph technically isn't Jesus' dad. He's a stepdad or a surrogate father. But Jesus punctuated punctuates it with this fact, as he says, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? Jesus' highest priority was to his heavenly father. Jesus wasn't talking about following in the footsteps of a Jewish carpenter. He was following something deeper, something more significant. And all through the ministry of Jesus, we see the same thread throughout He is all about his father's business. Even the night he was arrested, his prayer says it all. As he prayed there in the garden, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. 
So I want us to fast forward about 20 years from when Jesus was left, left there in Jerusalem at the temple. He was with all the other teachers and leaders and students dialoguing, studying about the scriptures. And we fast forward to that first Palm Sunday. And we can see it there in Luke chapter 19. That triumphal entry, that first Palm Sunday. And as Drew was saying, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of a holy week in the Christian calendar. For Christ followers, it is the day Jesus enters the capital city of Jerusalem with cheers and chants from a people in hope of a political revolution against the Roman occupancy. Yet there was a revolution in the works, but it wasn't the kind that people had come to expect. It was a clash of kingdoms. It was the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. It was a revolution against sin and death. It was a revolution to ultimately set the captives truly free. And it was a revolution in which God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this triumphal entry into the city of David would ultimately lead to capital punishment by crucifixion on a cross. The chance of Hosanna or deliver us would be replaced with chance of crucify, targeting the sinless Savior. The palm branches and cloaks of the crowd laid on the grounds before Jesus' feet as he entered the city would be contrasted with Christ's garments being raffled off at those same feet nailed on a cross. What the people thought would be a successor for the crown of King David would instead wear a crown of thorns pressed into his head. But on that first Palm Sunday, you wouldn't have expected such a shift in such a short amount of time, in just one week. But it illustrates the dangers of a Facebook theology and doctrines based on cultural opinions. It is why we cannot base our beliefs and our behaviors on what the crowds chant, but rather on the word of God, on God's opinion. You see, opinions change over time, as do the laws of the land, but God's opinion doesn't change. And we need to understand the significance of this fact because if sin could change, if what was sin changed from thousands of years ago God could have just waited it out, couldn't he? If he was going to change his mind, if he said 2,000 years ago, this is sin, fast forward 2,000 years ago and change his mind and said, oh, I was just kidding, that inconsistency would derail the need for Christ's sacrifice. Simply put, that's just not how sin and forgiveness works. That's why a savior was ultimately needed. And when the Jewish people chanted Hosanna or deliver us, they were making the understatement of eternity. For Jesus, he was simply going about his father's business. He was making the most of his life. And these past two weeks, we have been looking at making the most of our lives with a mindset that extends beyond the temporal, the earthly, but into the heavenly and the eternal. 
we, like Christ, should have eternity in mind. Though being fully God would certainly have given Christ the advantage. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Philippi that Christ emptied himself of his divinity and took on the form of a servant. He wasn't all-knowing, he wasn't all-powerful when he walked this earth. But he did have his authority. When Christ walked in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, he had the authority of God but the limitations of humanity. And it's with this foundation that I want us to now look at how we leverage our lives. Jesus set the bar. And we want to use our time, our talents, our treasure for the kingdom of God. I believe every single one of us wants to make the most of it. I've yet to meet a person that is fine with mediocre. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be mediocre. I mean, for the four-year-old, they want to be like a red fire truck, but... Sometimes the 18-year-old wants to be a red fire truck too still, but such is life. No, we want to make the most of it. And when we're talking about talents, we're not talking about something that'll get you an audience on the voice or so you, can, so you think you can dance. Instead, we are speaking more about what we do for the Lord. We are speaking about being about our Father's business. So let's deal with that elephant in the room. You guys okay with that? not going to step on toes, but we at least need to acknowledge the elephant. And here it is, is that we don't like to be told what to do, right? We learned this when we were two, and it was usually followed up with the word, no. Wash your hands. No. Go to bed. No. Stop picking your nose. Mm. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be backed into a corner. We don't like the idea of our freedom being restricted. And we get a little jittery with the idea that God might have a plan for our lives and that that plan might not coincide with our agenda. And I think that's a fair concern. I think that's valid because we need to guard ourselves. When God has given us directions, when God has pointed our course, we need to guard that because there's tons of opportunities. You think about all the opportunities that Jesus had to be distracted. You look at any of the miracles that Jesus did, and in so many of them, for the miracle that he did accomplish, there were also miracles that he didn't, or opportunities that he didn't. There are plenty of people that needed to get healed, but there's some that weren't. There are plenty of people vying for Jesus' attention, but he was laser-focused on his father's business, and so should we. In order to make the most of our talent, we need to overcome this hurdle, this misunderstanding about how God works in our lives, and we need to make a few assumptions to move forward. So if you're with me, let's jump in a little bit, because the first assumption that I want us to make is that our heavenly father is a good father, does that sound like a fair assumption? I think we could. I know this can be a challenging concept for some because we have plenty of examples in our society of well-intentioned parents who end up making life miserable for their kids. And maybe that was your childhood. But that is the case of the lost, of the confused, and of the sinful. We live in a fallen world. 
But I love what Matthew 7, verse 11 says. It says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God loves us. When we ask God how to best use our talents, our time, our treasure, we shouldn't be afraid of the answer. The other assumption I'm asking you to embrace today is that God, one, has a plan, and that two, his plan is better than your plan. That'd be a good time for an amen, folks. (laughs) But I realize it might be sinking in. You see, God is the ultimate conductor of our lives. If we will get on the same sheet of music, our lives can be a beautiful song that honors him. And that is the primary focus of what we do for the Lord, is to honor him. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a what? Hope. Admittedly, when the church starts talking about stewardship, about using our time, talents, and treasures, people get a little nervous, don't they? They're going to be marching the babies up here and doing sign-ups for children's ministries or passing out bulletins or taking on some sort of role within the church. But God's got a bigger plan than that. You see, people think that we're going to be, well, taking up all their time, sucking up all their talent, and draining them of all their treasure. But the fact is, it's not what your church wants from you. It's what your church wants for you. We want you to be obedient to God's plan for your life. You see, we don't use our talents to appease others or even ourselves. We use our talents to serve the Lord. We serve the Lord with our talents. It's about God, not us. It's about bringing glory to the Lord, putting the spotlight on him, and making him look good. If the motivation for our service is out of alignment with that, then we'll end up frustrated, disillusioned, and worn out. And maybe you've been there. I've been there in ministry. Where it gets frustrating, where you do get disillusioned, Your expectations aren't met. And maybe that's you today, but I'd like to see that changed. Instead of being burned out and burned up, we want to see you in a healthy spot where you are using your talents for the kingdom of God. And some of those talents may be used here within the walls of South Suburban Christian Church where it may extend beyond. Some of my heroes that I've had encounters with over the years have done just that. I know of one gentleman that uses his business to fund his mission's habit. And you see the fingerprints of what he's done all over various continents. As he set aside a portion of the proceeds from his business to make an impact in orphanages, medical facilities that are making an impact for the name of Christ. It's just how God's wired him. It's how he's using his time, talent, and treasure to impact the kingdom of God. I know another lady that she grew up as a missionary kid, 
then ended up becoming a missionary. And you know what she does on the side, besides her missions work? It's something small, but it's significant. And she writes letters to other missionary kids when it's their birthday in monumental times in their lives because she knows what it's like to receive cards when you're in the middle of Africa. And mail tends to be slow. There are bound to be hardships, setbacks, and disappointments when serving. But you will also find the most reward when you are using your talents in an environment where you thrive. And one of the reasons people can have significant challenges in serving is because they are operating outside of their shape. And when I'm talking about shape, I'm talking about the acronym, not pears and apples. And let's talk about that shape. You see, we need to serve according to our shape. And the first part of shape is your spiritual gifts. You see, God will often use us by leveraging how we are wired. He has known us before we were ever even born. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows how to take that into consideration. And so to serve effectively, we need to consider our spiritual gifts. You'll see some of these found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and elsewhere in the New Testament where there's gifts of administration, gifts of evangelism, gifts of giving, of mercy, of pastoring and teaching. And there's all sorts of assessments out there that help you kind of uncover your spiritual gifts, those things that God has already placed in you that makes you unique from the person that's sitting next to you. Your spouse most likely does not have the same spiritual gifts that you do. And that's amazing how God works and how God fashions his church. We also need to look at our heart. So we have spiritual gifts. We also have a heart. What are you passionate about? What makes your heart beat faster? When someone talks about homelessness or poverty or finance or politics or marriage and family, what of those kinds of things gets, you, gets your attention? What grabs your heart? A lot of times God will use already what you're passionate about to make an impact in the world. And then there's abilities, those natural talents. I was a kid growing up to get actually program the clock on the VCR. I could take it apart, put it back together after removing the tape that I had already jammed in there, and not have any screws left over. That was not my brother's gifting. He had other gifts. He had other abilities. And a lot of you will probably already be using your abilities in your vocation. You're good with numbers. You're good with writing. You're good with public speaking. You're good with managing spinning plates kind of a thing. And we need to look at those natural giftings that we have in our lives. We need to pay attention to what other people say you're good at. We need to look at our personalities. God's wired us certain ways. There's introverts and extroverts, right? How many of you guys are introverts? Like, oh, do I have to raise my hand? How many of you guys are extroverts? All right. You don't have to apologize. 
I'm an introvert, and for the longest time, I thought that I was like, you know, I'll say second class. That I was like, ooh, something's wrong with me. I'm not like all these other loud people with their feet in their mouth. <laughs> Instead, I quietly put my foot in my mouth until I'm given a microphone. But there is your personality, and it's not something to be ashamed of. Some people are introverted. They get their energies from being away from people, from stepping aside and kind of being alone. Others are extroverted, and they get their energies from being around people in the middle of the crowd, yucking it up and having fun. Some people are high risk. Others are risk averse. Some people are people driven, and others are project driven. It's your personality. It's how you're wired. It's not that it's wrong. It may have some shadows to it that you need to be aware of. You need to take in consideration for you project-driven people, right? All right. Oh, by the way, you actually have to do those projects with other people. (laughs) For you people-driven people, yes, you actually have to get things done. Some people like to get things done in isolation, going solo. Other people like to work with a team, right? And that's great, and that's fine. But understand your personality because it is a part of your shape and how God can use your time, talents, and treasure. And then, of course, we need to look at our experiences. What have you gone through in life? For my kids, they haven't gone through nearly as much as my wife and I, right? They like to think that they have sometimes. But they've had experiences growing up that I didn't have. I had experiences growing up mostly overseas that they haven't had. And those experiences can be a blessing and can be leveraged for the kingdom of God. Some people have lost loved ones, and God can use those if you're willing to offer them up to him for his service. Some of you have gone through some incredible setbacks, incredible losses, You've also had incredible victories where you have mustered all sorts of faith and you can be there standing alongside of someone else who's in the worst spot in their life and you can offer them hope, you can point them to Jesus, you can make an impact in their life by keeping the focus where it needs to be and bringing glory to God. You can serve as a bridge. What experiences have you had in your lifetime? And sometimes it's not always the most glaring one. It's not always the biggest one. But it's the ones that God wants to use to make an impact. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The fact of the matter is that God has been planning in advance for us to do stuff. It's gonna look different for each of us, isn't it? Not everyone is gonna be up on the platform playing an instrument and leading us in worship. Not everyone is gonna be serving in children's ministries. Not everyone is gonna be setting up the coffee cafe. Not everyone is gonna be serving in an Easter egg hunt. Let me just say this, and I should have said this in our first service. I loved seeing in our Easter egg hunt yesterday that we had a lot of our older generation working the activities, working the booths, instead of the younger, young families. It was great to be able to see all of the young moms and young dads 
out on the lawn doing the photo op thing with their little toddlers. Our older generation gave that as a gift. That was priceless. That was great, and that should be commended. God's got a plan for us, for each one of us. And it's up to you to find out what that is. And I'll give you a hint, it's not just one thing. There may be a bigger, bigger picture. There may be a big project. Jesus' main project was to die on the cross for my sins and for yours. But he had a lot of other things along the way that he had to be attentive towards, didn't he? Someone who needed a healing here. Someone who needed a miracle there. Someone who needed to be raised from the dead. And God will give you opportunity after opportunity to listen to his voice and to participate in what he's trying to do to make an impact. But when we make an impact, I want us to keep this in mind, that a faithful servant serves faithfully. A faithful servant serves faithfully. We want to be said of us one day, well done, good, and faithful servant. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, let's be invaluable. Bring solutions, not problems. Make the ministry or the team that you're a part of stronger because you're a part of it. Second of all, be healthy. Not only physically healthy, but spiritually healthy, mentally healthy. Come in with a positive attitude. Make sure that you're growing, that you're developing making sure that you're keeping a heart of humility and not letting successes go to your head. Make sure that you are growing where you are planted. You are never gonna be in a job, you're never gonna be in a perfect family where it is just a bed of roses. There are always gonna be reasons to complain, to whine, to point out flaws, isn't there? Yeah. So just grow where you're planted, regardless of what the soil looks like. Be diligent. Be consistent and faithful and thorough and timely. Show up for work on time. Don't milk the clock. Good enough isn't necessarily God enough, is it? Fourthly, I want us to be aligned. God loves structure. That's why he gave us a skeleton. He doesn't want too much. Otherwise, we can't move. We can't be nimble. He doesn't want red tape. But he wants us to be aligned and reflect the vision, the priorities, the leaders that you serve. We need to understand God-given authority. And when we step outside of that God-given authority, we step outside of God's blessings and God's protection. When you start doing your own thing, it ends up being rebellion and it ends up coming back to bite you. And lastly, I want us to be thankful. Sometimes we get distracted by all the things that we wanna fix, all the problems that are there, the stuff that needs to get worked on, and we forget to take the time to be thankful for what is there that's good. And you may need to do that today. You may need to be thankful for your family. You may need to be thankful for your job, for your coworkers. 
And there may be that coworker that is just a pain in your backside. But you know what? God's got a plan for their life as well. And there are things there that you can be thankful for and you need to find out what those are and celebrate and appreciate the people that God has placed around you. In Mark 10, 45, it says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it is with this verse that we punctuate our making the most of it series. As we are to be Christ followers, we should use our time, our talent, and our treasures not to be served, but rather to serve. We use our time and talent and treasures to see God's kingdom expanded beyond our own. And you and I have one shot at this life. We have one chance to make the most of it. We have one shot at being about our Father's business. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you wanna partner with us. Despite my flaws, despite my hangups, my shortcomings, God, you still wanna use me and you wanna use each person in this room. God, you see something in us that sometimes we don't see ourselves. And Lord, we wanna be obedient to your plan. We wanna get on that same sheet of music And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, not only today, but throughout our walk with you. Father, that we would be obedient to the things that you have us doing. That work doesn't get us salvation. But Lord, because we love you, because of our salvation and what you've done on the cross, we wanna serve you. We wanna see the spotlight put on you. So help us to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.